Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. For two decades, the Yes-Men have pulled off spectacular media hoaxes to expose corporate crime. Now these hilarious activists are approaching middle age, struggling to stay inspired in their fight against climate change. Can they get it together before the ice caps melt? And we're, by the way, we're going to talk a little bit about that. They just did something, I think, today or yesterday. We'll talk with the, the director of the film, The Yes Men Are Revolting. That would be Laura Nix. Laura joins us today here on Film School. Laura, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, well, thank you for being here. It's, uh, it's a fun film, uh, as these guys are fun, yet at the same time, they're, they're about a very serious business of, uh, as I mentioned, corporate crime, uncovering it, exposing it, greed, all the rest of it, all the seven deadly sins that, we, uh, that are affecting our world. And um, uh, the, the Yes Men Are Revolting is a look at them, not only as activists, but as people, uh, and I want to just find out a little bit about uh, your involvement with Mike and Andy. That would be Mike uh, Bonanno and Andy Bicklebaum, how you got to know them, and then your decision to move forward with a, with a documentary about them. Great. Yeah, so, man, I've known these guys a really long time, and, um, and I originally uh, met Mike when he was, like, 18 years old because we went to college together, in Portland, Oregon, at Reed College, and then eventually we went to graduate school together, too, later on in um, UC San Diego. Uh, we were in the same art program there. And, you know, I was around when the guys met. Uh, they, in the late 90s, they started doing something called RT Mark, and they were doing certain kinds of pranks and hoaxes back then, and they kind of conscripted everybody they knew to get involved. And so as part of the group of friends, I was one of the people that got um, pulled into the actions. And I loved having a fake phone number and fake business card and fake name and kind of doing that stuff with them. And so I just kind of stuck around for the next amount of time and eventually got involved in the film. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things is I, I alluded to, well, let's talk a little bit about their background, sort of for people who have never heard, they may vaguely heard about the Yes Men, mm -hmm. maybe not. Tell me a little bit about what Mike Bonanno and Andy Bicklebaum generally are known for and are prone to do as activists. Okay, so they're... They do in a kind of unusual kind of activism. Um, basically what they do is they impersonate voices of authority, and they do that to comment on voices of authority. So there's more of a dialogue about what these people are saying and whether or not we believe them, if we should believe them, and encouraging people to listen to those voices with a more um, critical ear and drawing attention to the, the fact that um, a lot of these people have a lot of power, but they're, they're, what they're doing is actually pretty insane. So they pretend to be like business leaders or governmental leaders, and they infiltrate events. Um, it could be business events. It could be like a con like a oil man conference, or it might be, um, you know, going to a conference on disaster preparedness and pretending to be Halliburton. So they often pretend to be like, you know, uh, corporate flax. And they give speeches or presentations, and they create 
basically two scenarios. One, which is kind of taking the logic of what those people are doing all the way to its logical extreme and um, creating a kind of dystopic world, or doing the opposite and saying what we might like those people to say um, instead of uh, what, in fact, they are saying. So creating kind of like a utopian vision, like when they put out a fake New York Times with all the news that you'd love to read instead of the news that's actually happening. Right. Yeah, and it is it is what... It, for anyone paying attention, they say the things that we know are true, but we're never going to hear out of the mouths of the people who are perpetrating these heinous crimes and financial chicanery and all the rest of it. It is, it is what we well, we all have a sense that this is actually the in, the no you know this guy that says the no spin zone. Andy and Mike are actually that. So it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It is actually what they do. Um, I don't want exactly to, like in this film, for instance, mm-hmm. they pretended to be the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which some people think is a government organization, but it's actually the largest lobbying organization in the United States. And they went and they said, you know, as the Chamber of Commerce, we're making a huge announcement today. We are supporting a ca- carbon tax. When in fact, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was doing the opposite, and they were trying to block a much weaker cap and trade bill. And that got picked up as being real news, and it was on all the news networks. And then the actual Chamber of Commerce busts into the event and says, you guys are a hoax and a fraud. And all of a sudden, the story turns, and it was covered by all the major news networks. Right. And that's just one action at the beginning of the film. Right. And, and just the, the beauty of it is is that you're getting um, the, the, the story in, in a way that, that the corporate media rarely covers it. You're, they actually have to say out loud what what Andy and Mike have said in order to sort of talk about this story. Often they try to get away with not doing that, but they're kind of forced to talk about it in terms that they don't generally like to talk about it in terms of. So there's a yes. It, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. exactly. I mean, it basically doing these kinds of stunts gives the journalists the excuse to write about the issues that they'd like to write about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of it's instead of doing what they call the sort of the uh, the handicapping kind of stories, you know, who's up, who's down, exactly. who's got more money, who yeah. doesn't, all that kind of nonsense that we generally get, and or the most surface sort of headline sort of description of something, and then it's and then it's two or three people bickering and calling each other names, and you don't even know mm-hmm. exactly what. And uh, the, to their credit, they have over the years focused on many of the things that we, that people like myself and others think are the priorities in the world. Uh, climate change is certainly high on the list of things that they have been focused on, but uh, corporate accountability, um, hunger, uh, there's all kinds of things that they they tend they have tended to really kind of uh, showcase uh, in the, in in their in their actions. Um, yeah. So I I just heard on literally this morning about something that they're doing or have done. Tell me a little bit about what they did. Was it yesterday or today? I'm not even sure. It was yesterday. Um, They um, teamed up with some climate activists in New York and did an action um, at the entrance of Central Park in Columbus Circle where they pretended to be shell representatives um, handing out Arctic ice cones so people could get the last taste of the final frontier. And we had a um, shaved ice cart with Shell employees handing out these ice cones to passers-by um, to celebrate 
the advent of Shell going back to the Arctic to drill, which is true. Shell is doing that. Um, they were blocked for a long time from drilling in the Arctic um, because of safety concerns, because of environmental concerns. And then the Obama administration actually gave them a permit to pursue it. They went. It was completely disastrous. They were shut down. And, um, and now they're going back. And uh, the Obama administration gave them the okay to do that once more, even though they've proven that um, they really should not be trusted up there and an oil spill is just really waiting to happen. So this kind of satirical action is meant to draw attention to the fact that nobody's really talking about this issue that, you know, um, this government is allowing fossil fuel companies to participate, um, doing what they're doing without very much resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I just to sort of follow on to that story, uh, and you cover it in, in the film, uh, The Yes-Men Are Revolting, um, that they shell oil moved moved a rig a giant kind of floating rig that uh, uh they were using they were going to be using for the oil exploration but they moved it um it was right around the last year the beginning of last year and it turns out the reason that they moved it from where it was to where it ended up in this bay and it ended up basically coming unmoored and crashed into the into the uh shoreline was because if it had stayed where it was, they were going to have to pay extra taxes or some kind of a fee. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. so Shell was willing to to put at at risk the environment of that very, very, very precious and and delicate ecosystem at risk because they moved it in heavy seas. In, in addition mm-hmm. to just moving it, they moved it when they were told that that it would be foolish to move it because of the weather. It was a time of year when mm-hmm. there was heavy, heavy seas, and they did it anyway. Mm-hmm. So we have no reason and, to believe. Go ahead, please. Exactly, and that gives you an idea of the profit that they make, which is why it's worth it to them to be paying these extra fees to go where they need to go, because the profit that they make when they get there and they're able to get the oil from there is so huge. I mean, they are making more profit than they ever, ever, ever have been, and that's even when we know that we have to convert to renewable energy. We all know we need to do that, and it's not happening yet. <laughs> yeah, it's not happening. So, well, okay, so in addition to the covering the political activities of um, Mike and Andy and giving us some history, we also, one of the n- great things about the Yes Men Are Revolting is we see the, the, sort of the, their personal lives in, in weaved into this the, the narrative of this documentary. Um, yeah. And I, for a lot of us, I, you know, I've only known them through their films, and obviously from from their work and seeing them as spokespeople for both uh, for uh, Union Carbide and other things. But it was great to see them just sort of as people with families, lives, and boyfriends, girlfriends, all the rest of it. it it's uh, it was really very well done. And uh, did they have any trepidations about letting you uh, into that part of their lives? Well, it was all of our ideas to include that. Um, part of their lives in the film. We wanted to do something different for the third film, and we didn't want it to just echo what the other two films had been like. And you really didn't know anything about them in the first two films at all. And so they said, yes, absolutely, let's do that. I will say there were days when we showed up with a camera and they were like, but that doesn't mean you're going to shoot this, right? And I said, yeah, actually, this is what it means. We are going to shoot this. And I think that it was sometimes harder for them to participate in that part of it. I think they also got worried, like, oh, no, maybe this isn't as funny every time. But there's a political reason for doing this, too. It's because activists are not um, 
invulnerable. Activists, it's not like activists um, don't ever lose hope or, um, you know, run out of energy. And that's true for the Yes Men, too. The other films kind of showed them like these superhero cartoon characters running around. And, you know, most of us wake up in the morning and we look at the world the way that it is and we think, you know, how am I going to keep going? How am I going to be involved in activism? How can I do anything? Is it anything I do going to have an impact? And we wanted the audience to connect with the Yes Men on that level and realize that no matter what you do, it matters, that you just have to contribute something to be one voice in a culture of resistance. And it's not like even these superhero um, activist guys don't experience those same doubts. Mm -hmm. And you have to push through that um, inertia and that um, sometimes that apathy and connect to something deeper to get involved. Mm. And once you're part of a movement that's bigger than yourself and bigger than just you and your friend working on it, you end up getting energy from that. And we really wanted to show that part of the story in the film. Yeah, in addition to that, you, you know, that, that side of them. By the way, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Lauren Nix. She is the director, also producer as well. Of- uh, yes. Yes. Um, uh, of the film, uh, the Yes Men are revolting. Um, the you also see some of the things that maybe don't work. You know, not everything's a home run. Uh, you know, talking about sort of the vulnerability. Not every time we step out into a, pe- a picket line or a protest or whatever, it has the the intended benefit, uh, intended effects. And we see that in in Andy and Mike and a couple of things that didn't quite go as well as they were hoping it would. But at the same time, as you said, it's a matter of putting one foot in front of the other. Keep going. You, you know, this is a this is we're in it for the long haul. And I think that's one of the things that has come across in their work. It certainly comes across in uh, Yes Men Are Revolting. Yeah, that's really the message that we want to communicate to people because it is really hard to know what to do right now when you look at something like what's the crisis that this planet is hitting. And we have to remind ourselves that we can't really count on our governments to make the decisions that they need to make. It's going to have to come from the people. Um, We're watching time and time again that the Obama administration and other so-called progressive governments around the world are too beholden to the interests of the fossil fuel companies. And they're not doing what they need to do. We've seen that at countless climate talks again and again, and it's going to have to come from um, our pressure that something's going to be able to move forward. And I'm glad that you were able to show Annie uh, and Mike at Copenhagen in 2009, because I think for a lot of the people who feel like um, in the, the, when the history of the world's reaction to climate change is written, I think a lot of people are going to point to... Copenhagen as as a as a horrible opportunity I mean a great opportunity missed mm-hmm. horribly horribly uh m- mismanaged and and squandered uh and I I just I, there's so many things about Copenhagen that were just so wrong it was uh, the recently elected President Barack Obama showing up, a lot of hope that this was uh, a sign that the United States was really ready to lean into it, really put their shoulder into uh, seeing the world wean itself off of fossil fuel. And here we are, uh, eight years, seven years later, and the United States is the largest producer of petroleum in the planet. And it's it's really yeah. sad. It's really sad. And 
I, what keeps someone keeps me going is the idea. I, I heard this a long time ago. You may have heard it as well. That these kind of things, everything se- seems impossible until it change changes, and then it seemed inevitable. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Um, you know, we talked to people who were involved in the civil rights movement, and they said that the whole time that they were doing that, they felt like, oh, God, there's no way we're going to make this. It's not going to happen. They felt totally hopeless. They felt like they were just failing all the time. They were at Selma. They thought, this is a failure. And then eventually something ended up shifting. And most modern social movements win. You know, I mean, there was a time when it was inconceivable to think that women would have the vote. Right. It was impossible at one time to think that there would be it would be legal to get married as gay people in the United States. And then eventually it does happen. And we have to remember that it's incremental. You have to have patience. You have to think in the long term. But this is something that we have to do. It is about making sure that we have a planet that's sustainable and livable for all animals and plants and humans. And... There has to be a way that we can be able to speak back to this crazy, you know, out-of-control system that supports um, basically short-term profit over long-term life. What, what gives me hope is that there, in terms of the world, there's relatively few people who are holding on to this idea that fossil fuel mm-hmm. is the future. There's really, in terms of numbers, there aren't that many. Now, they happen mm-hmm. to be exceedingly powerful people, but there aren't that many. And I, I'm, and and the other side of it as well is is that this is the greatest threat, in my opinion, the greatest threat that the that the species, the the planet will survive one way or the other. It will it will muddle on, uh, damaged as it may be. It will continue to 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 operate in a way. It's it's up to us to ensure that we will be around for that. And I do think that it. it it, there, it, it's an opportunity for the entire community of man to agree on on something, and I don't think that that opportunity has ever really been on the scale that climate change presents as an opportunity to all of us. Yeah, I think that's really true. I think that's very well said. It is an opportunity for everybody to get behind the same thing, because you'd like to think that we could all agree <clears throat> that humanity should survive and that humanity should exist. Um, That's that's a pretty good goal to be able to um, agree on. Uh, And it's true, there is a lot of exceedingly powerful people with a lot of money, and they spend an incredible amount of money on, um, you know, PR companies and advertising and behind-the-scenes lobbying to try and make people believe that climate change doesn't exist or that the problem is too far gone and we can't do anything about it. And it's a really big, bad, terrible issue that can cause many people to back away. But that's why the Yes Men use humor. And there's not very many comedies about climate change, but this is one of them. And the reason that we do that is that it's kind of like the Trojan horse. It's a way to get people thinking about these issues in a way that they might not have. And it's important that we um, use humor to talk about these big issues, because otherwise you just want to go back to bed and pull the cover over your heads and forget about it. But um, using satire is one way to engage. And, um, you know, the movie is funny and it's meant to be funny yeah. and there's a you know there's we we do that because we're humorous people but also because um politically strategically it's a good idea to use humor to get a chance to talk about very serious scary things yeah and thank you for tying that back when the yes men are revolting it opens today 
if I'm not mistaken, uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, you, are you, you're not in town for that, are you? Well, actually, it opens in New York today, okay. um, and I'm in New York for that opening. Okay. Um, we're already on VOD and on demand across okay. the country, okay. and we open up in L.A. on June 18th oh, in a family, and then we move to the arena on the 19th. And we're, also, we're opening um, today, however, in select cities around the country. And if you go to our website, the yesmenarevolting.com, and you go to watch the film, you can be connected with all these screenings around the country. Yeah, no, that's fantastic uh, that it's, it's getting wide risk. And to your point, you know, satire, humor uh, is really such a great way to introduce people into subjects that uh, they may not be familiar with and or it, it's a great way to express an opinion and and get past all of kind of the um, the intellectual blocking mechanisms that we tend to throw up in front of ourselves when we're when we're faced with these kinds of issues. Uh, it gets through. I mean, look, going back to the to the court jester telling the king things he didn't want to hear. It go, it's a rich tradition that we have uh, using humor to tell, to speak truth to power. And mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is certainly in that vein. Um, wow. Uh, well, congratulations on a wonderful film. As I said, in addition to pe- to to being a current issue about the work of the Yes Men, it's a nice overview of their career in this and a very humanizing film, and they're just great guys, uh, and it's easy to spend time with them because of that. They are just uh, very human, very wonderful human beings, I guess is the best way to put it, and uh, you've done a great job, Laura Nix, of, of all of those different elements, pulling it together for the Yes Men Are Revolting. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed the movie. Uh, I did, and, and uh, uh, all the best uh, on, t- on this and the success of this film. And also, uh, tell the boys I said hello. Andy's been on the show. He came on uh, many years ago to talk about their first film. And so it's always great to catch up with them and let them know that uh, they've always got a place to come in if they want to talk about what they're, what they're doing or yourself. Please, please feel free to let me know. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry one of them couldn't join me today, but we're, we've got another action going on that's actually top secret, and you'll find out more about next week, but there were some glitches with that that they had to attend to. I understand. Please, it's, it, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's hard work. <laughs> it's, so uh, so don't, thank you and thank them for me, and all the best to you, Laura Nix. Uh, the, the Yes Men are revolting. See it. Thank Thanks. you. All right, bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.